You're listening to a podcast series from Vietcetera Production. Vietnam is forecasted to be one of the fastest growing economies in Southeast Asia and the world. To understand the dynamics behind Vietnam's miracle growth, Vietcetera meets with business leaders every week to discuss the country's future growth prospects. We also learn about how they build and manage teams and why they think innovation will be key to Vietnam's role in the world order. From working as a software engineer to founding his own company and then turning into an investor, Ben Tran has seen his career advance in extraordinary ways. Today, he is a partner at 500 Startups Vietnam and general partner at Ascend Vietnam's Ventures, both of which fund and empower the next generation of entrepreneurs here in Vietnam. His team has invested in some of the country's biggest startup hits, such as Axie Infinity and Elsa, and some emerging startup stories such as Kilo and Infina, among others. As Vietnam's startup ecosystem booms and expands at an incredible pace, how do investors like Bin discover business ideas that have the potential to grow and become leaders in their industry? In today's episode of Vietnam Innovators, Bin answers this question and much more, while sharing his insights as Vietnam strives to become a regional startup hub. So before we begin today's episode, I just want to give a quick thanks to our two sponsors, ELSA, which stands for English Language Speech Assistant. You can download the app on the Google Play Store and the Apple App Store uh, on all platforms. Uh, they are an AI-powered English learning app for those of you listening today that are looking to improve your English. What's up, guys? It's your host, Hao here, the CEO of Vietcetera, for another episode of Vietnam Innovators. Thank you for tuning in every Tuesday morning for another guest in the Vietnam innovation ecosystem, may it be in technology, startups, general business, design, whatever it may be, we're featuring those stories. And today is a story that's actually quite close to me as well. I've actually worked with Ben, our, our guest, and I'll let him introduce himself in a little bit. Uh, ben and I actually worked together five or six years ago. He's the one that brought me to Vietnam. He offered me a job as uh, an analyst at 500 Startups Vietnam, where he is a GP, general partner. And um, he's since gone on to invest in many startups, probably a hundred, maybe maybe not quite a hundred, but a lot. Um, not five hundred though. Um, and uh, some of them have been some of the biggest wins uh, in the startup industry in Vietnam. So we're very excited to have him on the show here today and share more about that and his experiences investing in Vietnam. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining. Brief intro about what you're doing as a venture capitalist in Vietnam. Yes, uh, my name is Ben Tran. I'm uh, one of the two co-founders for Ascend Vietnam Ventures, a new seed stage fund focusing on tech investments in Vietnam. Uh, the original team that was 500 stars of Vietnam is essentially Ascend Vietnam Ventures. We've been deploying capital here since 2016. We consider ourselves the first seed stage tech-focused VC firm in Vietnam. And so uh, real excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Great. So let's start with the, the story that everyone wants to know. Ascend is fairly new. I mean, you guys have been investing for several years now, and you especially a decade now or more, perhaps, uh, in Silicon Valley as well. Why the switch from 500 to Ascend? What was the big kind of move behind that? And what are some things that people could look out to now that Ascend is um, one of the kind of leading VCs in Vietnam? Yeah, I think it's just a really, it's just an evolution similar to how the Vietnam tech ecosystem has evolved. You know, we clock Vietnam's inception in terms of the definition of a modern day tech ecosystem in 2016. In 2017, there was something like $48 million in deals, tiny, 
right? And then 2019, it was just under a billion dollars. There had been other VCs before us. However, you know, they're operational when there's less than 10 million people on the internet. You know, internet speeds were of one megabit or slower. And so um, in terms of modern day definitions, downstream capital, sufficient talent, we clock it around 2016. So pretty early, if you think about a five-year journey to where Vietnam's now, where it is currently, there's been a um, maturity that's pretty, pretty quick. And when we started deploying capital in 2016, part of the risk was just trying to figure out where the founders were, what kind of problems they were looking to solve, how we're going to go about investing. And so the 500 model is one to build a very large diversified portfolio. So it became a good way to be able, for us to be able to de-risk the opportunity. Now that the ecosystem has evolved, matured, uh, and there's a lot of money we left on the table, you know, our goal is to be able to continue investing in that seed stage, but much more build a much more concentrated portfolio. So instead of the 76 companies we invested in, we're looking at 20 to 25 companies and spending a lot more time with each one. So there's, I think, the consideration that we have a lot of operational experience, experience around growth. We have the largest co-investment relationships of investors here. We want to be able to leverage that. And in a, in a portfolio of 76 companies, you can only leverage that to a select few. So that's the main main thought. Yeah, so moving from 76 to 20, obviously the investment thesis has evolved now that the ecosystem has matured and there's bigger check sizes, totally makes sense. What were some of the challenges you observed um, when investing in 76 companies um, and also positives? I'm sure, you know, right before this podcast, um, I was you know speaking with you about the wins and the losses. Uh, there's always going to be a few in the VC world. And obviously you want the wins to much outweigh the losses. What what were some of the learnings generally from the startups that you invested that did really well and to com compared to the ones that didn't do very well? Well, there's been a lot of mistakes made over the last five years. For example, we came into some companies that we felt offered a really good price. You know, the valuations were very low and that was very attractive to us. But in certain sectors, certain markets where for VC, there needs to be scale. And for many sectors, that means a Vietnam plus story. What do we what can Vietnam bring in terms of a larger regional or global market? And for us, it was really that this. Perception that Vietnam is a perfect test bed for emerging Asia. You know, founders here, if they validate product market fit. They, they have a little bit of a leapfrog. They're a little ahead in validating markets like the Philippines, Indonesia, Bangladesh, and Thailand. So uh, that ability to be able to um, invest early in these companies, although the sectors were small, was one mistake we've made. Right? I do think that there is the general thought that there was going to be some fraud and there were some things that we would have to be just careful of. Um, we've been largely successful in dodging some bullets uh, when it comes to fraud. Um, I do think that there's, for us, the general 
philosophy that we have a certain bar we think you need to meet to be able to get downstream funding and international support and get to a certain scale where there's that type of multiple outcome that we're seeking. And as Vietnam was so nascent, we kept that bar there, right? We didn't shift that bar for founders that were in the market still learning. And so for us, we were waiting for a lot of the local founders to be able to fill that gas, which we knew they would, and we knew they would do it very quickly and meet that bar to be able to be a winner. And so some of the learnings beyond, um, I guess, some of the some of the successes were, you know, some of our biggest bets were Axie Infinity, and that's a classic story of a local founder who didn't go to school overseas, who didn't work at a Facebook, Amazon, Google, who had to go and fight for his life in this environment and learn through the years working with different teams and get to a point where he's at the level where he's competing toe-to-toe with the very best globally. And so that maturity and that trajectory of maturity is... um, exemplified within Axie Infinity. I can go on with a bunch of other mistakes. I don't know how deep you want to go, but um, besides valuations, a lot of it was just leaving a lot of money on the table. We write with 500 starters Vietnam, we were writing 100 to 200K checks. And a lot of these companies we found out were able to go and raise follow-on rounds. You know, we deployed, we had a $14 million fund, tiny, by most measures, and the companies have gone on to raise over a billion dollars. And so, um, however, you know, we do think that that strategy, de-risk strategy of building a large portfolio, writing smaller checks, made sense at the time. And now, you know, I think there's there's a lot of learnings that we've we're taking from the last five years and applying it to next the next five years. You mentioned that you dodged a few bullets. Uh, and a lot of it was due to fraud. I mean, I, I think that's a recurring sense that I've been getting uh, from overseas investors. They're really curious about Vietnam, but there's not enough information. Perhaps there's uh, a bit of murkiness when it comes to corporate governance or how startups are structured. Could you shine some light on what you mean by that? Is it because um, perhaps the companies weren't compliant? Uh, perhaps they were misusing funds? What is that exactly? Yeah, I, I wouldn't classify all those mistakes as fraud. I, you know, all those bullets being dodged as fraud. Um, some of those bullets were dodged because you know we we thought that we weren't aligned on the vision and we weren't, weren't aligned on where they wanted to um, be able to target their customers. So, in the cases where I guess a, a lot of those cases has to do with the capacity we have on the ground. You know, we've had some of the largest teams, VC teams, in market here for some time. And there's nothing that kind of can replace capacity and resources to be able to look at a deal and dig in deep when you're about to invest and look through your networks and have that kind of due diligence, both commercial and legal, to uncover things that a regional investor or a regional investor with a junior member on the ground can do. And so I do think that there's just robustness in investing that 
one has to do, and it's just really hard to do that if you're flying in and flying out, and you don't have the local networks needed to be able to make those decisions. What do you say to the regional VCs who, who do that, but at the same time don't invest in the same volume or kind of rate that Vietnam-based VCs do about the Vietnam market? Why why haven't they built, in, built a team to invest more seriously in Vietnam? What are some of the possible reservations that investors have? They are now. I mean, they, everyone's hiring. So if you want to be a VC, you can be a six-month six graduate and be reading some books and they'll hire you. <laughs> I do think that there's nothing to... Um, to point out, except, you know, it's, a, it's the maturity of the market. Um, you know, there's higher risk the last five years than there is now. So Vietnam has become really hot for a lot of these investors. And so they're, they're making it a priority now. But um, I do think that the last five years has just been at a risk return profile that was challenging for, for most. And for us as investors on the ground, we do we do it because we care. We care enough that, you know, fourteen million dollar fund, being able to have budget for a very large team to do what we do and and provide the support and the care and, and investing, we do it because we care. You know, they we care about returns, but we also care about the ecosystem. We care about the founders here. Many of those other investors are just returns focused. I see. In regards to kind of being on the ground more and seeing what startups are succeeding, maybe you can share more about what industries you're you're quite bullish on and maybe highlight a few of those opportunities. You mentioned Axie Infinity. I think everyone's in, interested in DeFi uh, and crypto and, and such, uh, so on and so forth. But what are some other industries that are very specific to Vietnam that are exciting? So Vietnam represents a perfect test bed for emerging Asia. So what does that mean? That means there's a rising middle class and there's a large pool of small businesses doing something with the internet. So this digitalization that's happening when a, a small business is trying to figure out how to survive, how to become better, increase their margins, capture customers at a lower cost, serve them more automatically, you know, 97% of enterprises in Vietnam are SMEs. And so that's the backbone for Southeast Asia in terms of business. And so what you prove out here in terms of delivering that value to the to the business or the consumer, you know, this rising middle class with disposable income, they're looking for healthcare, they're looking for education, they're looking for ways to invest, they're looking for ways to be able to build their future. And so I call it, you know, universal basic needs of both businesses and consumers that I think is the opportunity and to be able to validate product market fit in Vietnam gives you a lot of edge. You look at a market like Singapore, if you build a product out there and validate that, you're highly likely to validate more of Hong Kong and Taiwan rather than these larger markets. So I do think that the uh, sectors that we look at generally serve um, these two kind of customers. And what's different is how the teams are generating value from that. So we're less interested in a team being able to, say, sell um, investment products to, to a consumer 
and make fees off that. We rather see them take take revenue from that as well as take revenue from some kind of robo advisory, some kind of automated, you know, a way to help people invest. So kind of like the second order value generation revenue from that. That's a little bit deeper and and centered around technology. Vietnam's a big fish. Uh at least population size, 100 million people. But you look around the market in Southeast Asia, you have players like Indonesia being almost three times that. Uh, and a lot of investors have gravitated towards other countries because the dynamics are somehow more interesting. The per capita GDP is higher, population's larger, it's more connected somehow. What do you say to those that prefer other Southeast Asian markets? Why should they be looking, you know, compared to the region uh, why is Vietnam a more pe- compelling case than, than these other countries? So it depends what you're looking at. So Southeast Asia as a whole represents emerging Asia, then emerging Asia that's very different from, say, a Korea, Japan, China, India, in that it's, it's globally accessible to both entrepreneurs and investors. You know, so this access of saying, hey, I, I want to tap into this amazing age, emerging Asia story. There's so much growth, so much opportunity. Um, Southeast Asia becomes an incredibly accessible place, not just for Southeast Asians, but you know, for, for, for any stakeholder around the world. So this access is pretty unique. And within Southeast Asia, Singapore and Vietnam are the most accessible. Right? The, the, the country here has developed a mindset and implemented policies that are non-protectionist. You know, we don't have a billion people to be able to say, hey, let's give local companies an, a, an edge. Let's block out foreign um, invaders, uh, business invaders, and give our companies a chance to be able to grow. And, you know, Vietnam has taken the stance very similar to Singapore where it's one of the t- uh, few countries in Southeast Asia that allow a foreigner to own a lo- 100% of a local entity. And so if you look around many of the tech sectors, you know, whether it's e-commerce, ride-hailing, search, social, you know, marketplaces, many of these market-leading companies have been started by foreigners or led by foreigners. Right? And so that access has given Vietnam this very competitive marketplace where startups have to compete from day one with the Lazada, with the Shopee. And that kind of competition accessibility increases knowledge sharing as well as this growth that's happening here. And so we see Vietnam as a very, very steep maturity trajectory Indonesia is a very attractive market. It's more mature. It has more people. But the foundations for tech here, as well as the steep maturity curve, is going to put Vietnam in a very special place within Southeast Asia. And Singapore is, is, is special on its own because it's the financial capital for the region. There's well-established business laws. And so I do think the opportunity in Vietnam are around early stage. At some point, it may involve later stage companies, but right now, I think the, the optimal uh, stage to be involved with Vietnam is early stage. I, w- I do want to go back to your question about what sectors, though. 
You know, I do think that the universal basic needs is, is kind of the foundation for value creation. Um, but you mentioned NFTs and gaming. You know, I think there's um, a long history of uh, blockchain uh, engineers here, um, almost a decade long, and it's quite vibrant. But I do think that NFT gaming is, for many projects, the new ICO. So they'd be, be prepared for rampant fraud, you know, people who are able to, to access large pools of capital, don't have real intention to build something long-term. Um, and steep competition, very little differentiation. You know, I think anyone can go ahead and go and fork a project. All this stuff is open source. So have some graphics and marketing on it, get a new domain name, go go sell a billion tokens. Even if you sell one at a dollar, next thing you know, you're a unicorn. Everyone thinks this fully diluted market cap of a token is the company's valuation, and it's not. It's you know any Joe Schmo can assign a price to a company, and and that's not the value it's creating. It's not the value I perceive it as. So I do think that there's a tremendous hype, and uh, investor beware. Investor beware. I mean, uh, in Vietnam, I was reading somewhere that Vietnam is one of the top countries in the entire world for uh, trading coins, um, even develop the developer community here, not just developer generally, but also the gaming community is one of the largest actually in the entire world. Um, not a lot of people know that, but that, that's actually the case in terms of uh, developer uh, kind of market. Is the kind of quality um, really reflective of the activity that we're seeing in Vietnam at the end of the day? I mean, you mentioned, yes, beware of fraud, but are are the kind of quality of companies in that space actually going to, to meet the international level, you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, Axie is just one of many teams in Vietnam that I think have these this global uh, capability. I mean, if you look at, I mean, I'm, the example a lot of people bring up, I think it's Flappy Bird. Right, that team had global capability. Right, it was stunted because of this gap between language and culture. Right, and so I do think that there's uh, great talent here, and and um, a lot of people who are able to to, to build products that are globally acceptable. Um, the core of that product is globally acceptable, but I think language and and cultural gaps. Um, adds too much friction for them to be adopted. Now, gaming is one of those sectors where you know, it kind of transcends language and culture, kind of like K-pop and manga, right? So um, they happen to be in at this intersection between gaming and crypto, and so this kind of very large portion of their users have not used crypto ever and so they're becoming this great onboarding path for people to use crypto to participate in this economy and so i do think that there's really i guess factors about vietnam that um, meet a certain underserved population of the world so emerging asia is definitely one of them right this low income moving to middle income 
and all the needs that they 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 have, including pay to earn and you know buying insurance and all these different things. The one key thing about Vietnam is its tech savvy population. Right? So you have this sure young large population, but they're very very tech savvy. And so uh, if you look at um, yeah, you talk about crypto adoption. It's not easy to get on crypto. It's not easy to get a wallet and deal with keys and and um, being able to understand and navigate what's out there for you. But it's 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 uh, it's a function of this rising middle class without you know a sufficient uh, options to invest and participate. And then this, this deeply tech-savvy population. I want to touch upon a point you made earlier about how Vietnam is so friendly to overseas investment, but also as a society is quite open to uh, welcoming foreigners, not just in the country, but doing business itself on the ground and, what, uh, and so on and so forth. How do you, what do you say to the kind of uh, observers that note that given current conditions, Vietnam is obviously very welcoming, like just like China was 10, 15 years ago. China has, uh, you know, moved in a different direction since then in terms of uh, limiting foreign investors. Um, even on their borders, they're getting more strict about welcoming that. Is that a possibility in Vietnam's future? And what do you say to those observers that note that as a potential similarity in the future? So we don't have a billion people to be able to act that way. You know, I do think that the head headwinds that we've seen with the government, you know, a few months ago, they said 20% of the GDP needs to come from the digital economy. And for that type of scale and interaction, uh, Vietnam needs to leverage its kind of core tech asset. So I don't think that's happening. Um, now, foreigners who come here and, like myself, who come here and build on Vietnam's growth, add to its accessibility, um, take advantage of its accessibility, add to its maturity and growth. Also need to respect the local culture and behaviors. I mean, when you build something here, you need to build local teams, local brands, local products that speak to the minds and hearts of the local Vietnamese. Right. Although this market makes it accessible for someone who doesn't speak the local language to be able to compete and be on top, we do think that over time, you know, without that deep local connection and uh, networks, you won't be on top. And so, regardless of the, this accessibility, we think that there's this playbook for winning in other markets of this deep respect and love for the community for a for a company to win and so if you're if you're a software company and you, you've got this great core product and you're building it here again you have to have that love and respect for your customer make sure it's a vietnamese product be able to sell it here Take that core product, go to the Philippines, do the same thing. If you need to do a rebrand, if you need to do a um, have a Filipino team there, take that core product and build something around that 
um, that's what it's going to take to win. Is there a precedent for Vietnamese, for companies to be started in Vietnam, grow in Vietnam, both team-wise and consumer-wise, and then go to the region in the tech? I mean, to my knowledge, there's only a handful, but maybe you can highlight some of those stories or companies. Yeah, Elsa, you know, I was in 70 different countries. You know, we were the first institutional investor in that company. Uh, Trusting Social launched here. They, they, they're in India and Bangladesh and Philippines. Uh, we have companies that are, you know, those are kind of regional winners. Um, companies, obviously, like Axie. And I think we're going to see more. I think it's just a function of how young the ecosystem has been. And so if you're looking at most of the opportunities um, we see that we seeded are now kind of raising and, and going to A, B, and C rounds uh, outside Vietnam. There's, there's this constant generation of companies that keep, keep flowing in. And I think these regional or global winners inspire whole new generations of other entrepreneurs to say, hey, well, I can do that. So that's that's the great great part. Ben, we're wrapping up toward the finish line of our of our episode here with you. I, I'd love for you to also share some of the quick bullet points about Ascend Ventures. How large is the fund? What check sizes are you writing? And I'd love for you to also touch upon some special initiatives you're running. I, I know you have a women's initiative, if I remember correctly, women founders. You have a well, five hundred. You had what what was called the Sal Accelerator. I'd love to hear if that's going to be continued or perhaps under a different name. For Ascend, maybe let's start with that and then the little bit uh, facts and figures, I guess, of Ascend. Yeah, so the Salad Accelerator was a, a, a part of 500 Stars Vietnam where we invested in companies and took them through a growth program. So we, we connected with folks who built companies and acquired customers, not just in Vietnam, but within the region, and delivered a 12-month program for companies to help them acquire customers. So... Um, over three batches, we learned a lot, and we're taking kind of that knowledge and applying it to Ascend Vietnam Ventures, not in a program format, because it's really challenging, one-to-many, help making sure that everyone is at the same stage where they're ready to absorb that knowledge and, and actually act on it. And so it's very much more highly consultative. And so part of Ascend Vietnam Ventures is we kind of want to focus on three areas where we're helping. At the stage we're investing, a lot of these companies are just building their products, trying to figure out their customers. And so for us, being able to build on foundationally their growth engine, their capital path, you know, being able to take advantage of that huge co-investment network and help them create the most capital efficient path uh, for them to be able to become a winner. And then finally, the people part. You know, I think the people part is really, really important, especially when it comes to culture talent acquisition, and the organizational structure of a company. You know, I do think that Vietnam and Southeast Asia are going through an inflection point where what you see in terms of the market-leading companies isn't what you need to be able to market, be a market-leading company over the next five years. You have to be distinctly a very different company. And I think I, the gaps that I see within Silicon Valley compared to Vietnam, they need to be filled. And so a lot of it has to do with had this deep concentration and focus around building the right cultures that attract the most exceptional talent and then an organizational structure that allows a founder to be able to go and lead and manage 
this exceptional talent so that they want to stay and that they're actually performing. And so there's some fundamental uh, pieces that we can help founders with in building that foundation of a company that carries forward with them well beyond the seed stage. So AVV uh, is a seed stage fund where we want to be the first institutional investor, sometimes maybe the very first investor. Our check sizes range from 500,000 to 2 mil. And we want to help you in these three areas that we have a lot of operational experience with. And we want to be able to launch you to become a market regionally, uh, a market leader there, or globally a market leader. We have uh, a team of 10. We're growing that. We're continuing to grow that. 80% of our team speaks fluent Vietnamese. And we have a very diverse uh, group uh, of folks. Um, our prior fund, 26% of our portfolio were women-led startups. And so the Australian uh, Department of Finance and Trade, uh, they have an investing in women's program. They recognize that. And so they became investors in our new fund. Uh, wanting, wanting us to continue that work, maybe improve on it. So we have soft targets to be able to improve that as well. And uh, over the last uh, year, our team has uh, developed and delivered a women's focus um, uh, program called Shine. You can find it, find out about it on our website. And we are continuing that program. But the idea here is to create a, a community beyond us that women's uh, women founders can um, feel safe and be supported and um, share and learn. Um, so we're excited about that project as well as it continues to grow organically and become valuable for, for, for women uh, entrepreneurs in Vietnam. Anything else I want to add about Send Vietnam Ventures? Um, yeah, we're hiring. You know, we're, we're excited. We, we think we have a philosophy where you know, this this thing that we're building, this firm, um, it's going to outlive me. <laughs> um, and I do think that, you know, what I'm building, what we're building is a, is, is a business where I think it's very, it's apprenticeship based. And so I do think that there will be people who take over my role. And uh, we've built a very flat organization where, Anyone can be an investor. We actually expect people who are even working in HR, or talent acquisition, even finance, to really believe in venture and its impact and be able to go and find great entrepreneurs, um, champion them, and lead a deal. And so, um, yeah, look for, for, for folks who have that type of mission drive to, uh, to join us. Fantastic. I remember when I first joined, we were in the middle of hiring for other associates and other roles. And uh, one of the people that we hired at the time, uh, Ho, she has now progressed into a partner role within five years. So that's great to see. And if I recall, she didn't have any tech or investment experience. I think I actually don't recall what she was doing before that, but um, she was obviously very sharp. Um, and so I, uh, I personally have seen her grow. Uh, after 500 and to what she's doing now. So that's great to see the ecosystem internally, but also of course, with some of the great successes that um, the Vietnam tech ecosystem has seen over the last few years. 
So thank you, Ben, uh, for all, well, one, for your contribution to the ecosystem, but second, for joining today's show. It's been a, a great insights that hopefully our listen, listeners will really enjoy and take something away from and possibly even apply to Ascend or apply for investment. Um, for those of you listening today, thank you for joining another episode of Vietnam Innovators. Our guest, the general partner of Ascend Ventures Vietnam, Ben Tran. You can find his LinkedIn, his contact information uh, in the text description below. So look for him or his team. I'm sure they'd be happy to hear from you. Thank you again, Ben, for joining today's show. Appreciate it, Hal. Thank you. All right. See you next time. Vietcetra's Vietnam Innovator Series is only one of many podcasts hosted by the team. We also have Have a Sip, hosted by our VP of Content, Thuy Minh, as well as the Vietnamese edition of Vietnam Innovators, hosted by Vietcetra's Chief Operating Officer, Ruby Nguyen. Look out for more podcast production soon from the Vietcetra team. You can also check out the video version of this podcast on our other platforms such as YouTube and Facebook. New episodes are out every week, so don't forget to subscribe to Vietcetra's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube channel for more interesting content. Hey guys, good news. Vietcetera has now officially rolled out a mobile app for Android. Now you can download our mobile app on both the Apple iOS store and the Google Play store right now. More functions are coming very soon, so stay on the lookout.